JMV here with Brian Kahn from Floors to Your Home. Fans, if you're shopping for flooring of any kind, you need to check these guys out. You're going to have the most incredible, totally hassle-free shopping experience ever. JMV, we really appreciate you saying that. That's our goal every day, to offer our customers a quick, easy, and hassle-free experience at all of our Floors to Your Home locations. Fans, it works like this. You see the product you like. It's going to be cheaper than anywhere else. That's for sure. Then you can immediately take it home with you or have it installed. That's right. No hassle, no special order. Just see it, buy it, and take it home, or have it installed. Like three rooms of hardwood, laminate, or waterproof flooring starting at just 349 and they have everything in stock. I'm doing my whole house, and believe me, this is the best shopping experience you'll ever have. Three convenient locations, Avon, Noblesville, and Brookville Road. Who gives the quickest, easiest, and most hassle-free buying experience? Floors to your home. That's who. Brett Spielberger is taking some time with us on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Brad, good to talk to you. Happy franchise tag season officially as of 60 seconds ago. Hey, we'll leave this off. We asked Greg Rakestraw this question a half hour ago. Michael Pittman Jr. destined for the franchise tag in Indianapolis. What do you think? Yeah, I think it's a, a bit of a foregone conclusion. I, I do think they'll find a way to work out a multi-year deal before week one, but I think it'll take a tag to get us there. Uh, that's exactly what I said. You don't. He's going to come in and ask for $100 million. And, Brad, I want to just get your opinion on where do you see Michael Pittman Jr. stacking up versus other quote-unquote number one receivers in the NFL? Like what tier are, is he in? Where would you rank him as far as, you know, maybe top 15 receivers or whatever the case may be? Yeah, it's a fascinating question. He has a very unique profile. Um, you know, the guy who, look, he has these size, you know, 6'4", 220 of an X receiver. But you look at his measurables from testing standpoint and then things like his average depth of target around seven, eight, nine yards in most seasons. Like he is a, a very, very good possession receiver, as sure-handed as they come. I do think you saw this year more ability to make guys miss after the catch and, and pick up those extra yards. But I think because of some athletic limitations, maybe he's in that 1B category, not that 1A tier. But, yeah, still a you know, top 25, top 30 wide receiver in the NFL. No question about it in my eyes. A guy that can be you know, the focal point of an offense. And then you have your deep threat, Alec Pierce, your underneath assassin and Josh Downs. You kind of can build around um, just a reliable you know, 10 target, 7 catch guy seemingly every week. Does his value increase for the Colts, that is, because of Anthony Richardson and having to keep playmakers around him, ideally? I think it does to a degree, right? I think he is like the perfect, you know, the quintessential safety blanket, safety valve for a young quarterback. But trying to come along in this league, he has a massive catch radius. I mentioned he rarely drops the football. Um, he's a guy that you can look to on, you know, third downs, down in the red zone. I know the touchdown production hasn't really been there. But, you know, he, he has all the traits of a guy that you can rely on for some of those money downs and money situations. And I think when you give a rookie contract quarterback that, it just helps with their development. It helps with their confidence. Um, just having that guy they know they can go to, even if he's covered, they can say, you know what, he's probably going to win this contested ball, this 50-50 opportunity. It'll skew more, you know, 70-30 in, in their favor. I think we've seen over the years that benefit a lot of young quarterbacks. Brad Spielberger from PFF is our guest on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. My last thing on Pittman, Brad, is when his camp gets together and they're negotiating with Ballard and the Colts crew, does his camp and him himself, I guess, have any leverage just based on how he's been able to sustain that consistent level of play, even as the Colts quarterback room has just been so crazy over his career? And so that's one of the, the big things that happens in a lot of these negotiations. Is I can't speak to this one specifically, but I can't tell you uh, from anecdotes in the past, like you'll get a team will say, yeah, you know, but your guy only had 1,100 yards. And say, yeah, but, you know, for example, you know, in recent years, the Chicago Bears had a bunch of different, you know, receiver negotiations. So, yeah, but we had the fewest passing yards in the entire NFL. So 1,100 yards here is really 1,500 elsewhere. Um, like stuff like that you do hear pop up in, in certain conversations. So it is a battle. You don't want to just like adjust or inflate statistics, but it's real. I mean, 
the Colts passing game in, in 2022, um, by some advanced metrics, EPA per play, was the worst dropback passing game in the entire NFL. Um, and all, through all four of those years, with all the, you know, it, it's hard to build chemistry with a different quarterback every single year, seemingly, or multiple quarterbacks each year. Um, all of those little details that you can't build on and grow from, yeah, it's, it's going to limit your upside and your production. Um, so team might say it, if I'm the agent, you know, I'm almost spinning it as a positive and saying, yeah, there's untapped, you know, you know production here that it's your fault. We haven't seen it yet, but we will, um, you know, with Anthony now being the guy. So speaking of untapped production, one of the biggest keys to make all of this work is Anthony Richardson. And I am curious to hear your thoughts on what he could be, because here in Indianapolis, he is very loved. Everyone thinks he's going to be the man. And I think he has the potential to be, but I know there are probably some Colts fans who are going to like, you know, get their pitchforks out for me when I say he's not C.J. Stroud. He's on that level yet. We don't know if he can be consistently good. So how do you see him maybe having to catch up a little bit more because he didn't play much during his rookie season? Yeah, I think he can be really, really good. Uh, I think you saw his sack avoidance going back to his college days. To me, was the most impressive aspect of his game insofar as I thought it would help him adjust to the NFL level, like limiting those negatives early on, we know he can make the positives. He has an absolute cannon for an arm. He's obviously a good athlete and can run and take off and, and make players miss or bowl players over. But I think that was the biggest thing for me is a, is a calm feet in the pocket, doesn't bail from clean pockets, trusts his protection, but also knows when he should get out of there. And I think that's going to really help him uh, going forward. But like you said, you know, one year of starting in college and then obviously played, what, four or five games last year. It's going to take a little bit of time because he also was one of the younger prospects in that entire class, um, not just a quarterback. So I'm with you. I think he could be really, really special. I totally love the draft pick when they made it. I still believe in, in where he could go. Um, but, yeah, it could be a bumpy second year, and you got to be patient. Let him work through things, see everything, you know, see different coverages or different blitz packages that he's never seen before. Um, and I'm confident that he will figure it out, settle in, um, and become a very good quarterback in this league. Hey, Brett, now that about you know a month and change has passed since the Colts' season ended, can you judge what kind of market yet that Gardner Minshew is going to have? Does he have a shot to actually go be an automatic starter somewhere else, or where do you gauge on the Colts possibly being able to bring him back as kind of that safety net for Richardson if he continues to have injury problems? Yeah, the, the game of musical chairs, it's funny. We had kind of the year of the backup quarterback last year where so many guys played meaningful roles, um, and obviously some guys just made a couple spot starts here and there, and it seemed like every single week we had a half dozen like new faces and new names uh, in, in the starting lineup. So that said, I, I think the backup market will be stronger, and I think Gardner will get a nice pay bump for his season. But when I look around – it's, it's both the draft and free agency. So, you know, I think four quarterbacks probably go in the top 15 picks. That obviously fills four holes right there. Um, and then, you know, Kirk Cousins gets a starting job. Maybe Russell Wilson, once he gets cut, gets a starting job. I think Baker Mayfield goes back to Tampa Bay and starts for the Buccaneers. So, a long answer short, I think it looks more like a bridge opportunity at best. Hey, you come in for a month. We, we drafted, you know, J.J. McCarthy. We're the – I don't know, insert team name here. We're the Las Vegas Raiders. Bring in Gardner Minshew. You're our starter for a month. And then we're probably going to pass the keys to, you know, the fourth quarterback off the board. Um, I don't see, like, an unquestioned starter job. And I do think it's possible since Sykin says, look, we've had a great relationship for multiple teams now. I can cater an offense to your skill set. We work well together. We'll make you one of the highest-paid backups in the NFL. Uh, but you will still – First and foremost, you know, be Anthony's mentor um, and, and, and a vocal leader in that QB room, and, and that'll kind of be where the real value comes from. Again, we're talking to Brad Spielberger of Pro Football Focus. Brad, I want to know, how do you become a, in your Twitter bio, it says, a salary cap <laughs> analyst? And I feel like every time I have to do a salary cap story, I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to go to overthecap.com or I have to go to these different websites and read a bunch of stuff and try to basically put myself through like a short course of it. But what piqued your interest in it to even, I guess, want to dive into it and learn more about it and have it down pat where now you can kind of know what not only a move means for a team on the field, what it means for them on the paper and the checkbook. 
Yeah, so I appreciate the OverTheCap.com shout-out. Uh, that is where everyone should go if they want to you know, get into contracts a little bit. And that is kind of the genesis of the story is I, I went to law school, uh, and the guy who runs OverTheCap.com, his name is Jason Fitzgerald. It, it's not a job. He has a full-time job doing something else. It's a pure passion project. Um, and he basically runs this site and, and is a very, very important resource for even people at teams are looking at the site, um, reading different thoughts and anecdotes and quips that he has. So, you know, I, I knew I wanted to work in sports in some capacity, kind of have a, you know, econ finance background, go to law school. Um, and this is now a long story, but Tulane uh, is where I went, down in New Orleans. And they do this, this annual competition where it's a negotiation competition between uh, mock teams and mock agents. We get law schools from around the country, um, and then the judges are agents or football administration people, a.k.a. capologists at different teams, um, and Jason helps us run it. So I said, hey, Jason, can I be your apprentice? Uh, I would love to work in this space in some way, and then started doing that, You know, got, got in touch with PFF, and that's how now you have the, the free agent rankings at PFF and all those contract projections. Uh, that, that is my baby. Wow, that is really cool. See, this is why I asked those questions, because I'm like, how? Why? You know, so you, I guess you're good with numbers in law school because God knew that was not my path. But Brent, I'll let you take it away. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that path. Did you go? So I'm kind of stalking your Twitter, too. Did you go to New Trier? I did go to New Trier, yeah. As in Chicago? Yes, that's right. I have some friends from New Trier. That's, I'm a Southsider, so I'm a, I'm a Lincoln Way East guy, if that rings a bell. Okay, um, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so let's take it to Chicago, Brad, because... I feel like every day I see it's like a tug of war of keep Justin Fields, get rid of Justin Fields, Caleb Williams, not Caleb Williams. The fact that they brought Eberflus back, in what way would that be serviceable to Caleb Williams? That, Or better word, in what way would that be attractive to Caleb Williams after what Justin Fields just went through? Yeah, so it's a great question. Yes, there is a daily civil war. I, I advise staying away from Bears Twitter uh, <laughs> yeah. for the next you know, two months or so. Um, yeah, I, I think the thing, it's a fair question. Obviously, Iberflus has the Colts connections. I do think, I'll tell you this, that there was never a moment as bad as things got with this team overall where the locker room soured on Iberflus or the players thought he wasn't a good leader and a good defensive coach. I think the real attractive you know, thing that they did this offseason, however, was Hiring Shane Waldron from the Seattle Seahawks, who, you know, first, I think you saw did a good job helping resurrect the career of Geno Smith. But second, he also he works at a or, or volunteers or whatever it is um, at the quarterback collective, which is this, you know, training, you know, kind of incubator for up and coming high school, college and pro players. Cale uh, Williams is currently training at the quarterback collective right now. Uh, and so there's some, there's some ties there. So that's kind of what I think the Bears did is they say, hey, we're going to bring in a new offensive coaching staff, guys that you are loosely connected to and maybe can familiarize yourself with. Um, I think that's how you sell it. Because I hear you. I mean, the the 53-year-old defensive coordinator is probably not the desired landing spot for for our young quarterback. So one that I have is how good is Marvin Harrison Jr.? Because I think that Colts fans want everything to be traded for him. And I told them if the Colts did that, they would have Anthony Richardson, Jim Irsay, and maybe one practice. That was field a promo, left, and that was they it. made that a promo here yeah, for yeah, you. So, <laughs> so <laughs> I'm just curious to know. You know, I don't think the Colts will have a shot at getting him, but how talented is he as a wide receiver prospect compared to top wide receiver prospects in years past? Because it sounds like he really is. You know, I guess one of one. Yeah, as you know, that is like the least Chris Ballard idea. Uh, in the I world, know. But... <laughs> But, uh, hey, I mean, we had uh, the Falcons, I want to say, went from 27 to 6 to get Julio uh, about a decade ago. So we have seen it, um, or, or at least something similar. So, yeah, I mean, I think Marvin is really special. I think he is one of the better wide receiver prospects we've seen in a very long time. Um, just, there's no weakness to his game. Like, he is a, a plus athlete. He is a one of the best hands catchers in the entire class. He has nuance to his, to his routes, to his, um, his late hands and late footwork, and Everything he does is so smooth and calm, and, and you just see it translating so easily. But I will say, sitting there at 15, obviously you could go corner, you could go defensive line, there's, there's other options at your disposal. There are so many really, really talented wide receivers in this class. So even on the first round, too, maybe in the second round you get a guy. Um, but as much as I love Marv, if I'm Indy, I definitely think receiver could be a spot to target. Uh, but I don't know if I need to trade up from you know 15 to 4 <laughs> to make it happen. 
Brad, you mentioned Josh Downs a little bit earlier. I think you said underneath Assassin or something like that, and I, I love that. How, how much of a jump do you think he can take in year two? I think he'd be a really important piece. You know, I mentioned the underneath aspect. I also think you saw him, you know, stretch the field vertically from that slot alignment as well uh, and make some plays in traffic and, and do some different things that, you know, just continues to allay the concerns about his size. I think he can be, a, you know, a really important piece of an offense. I, I do think he benefits from, you know, a lot of the 12 personnel and running the football, uh, you know, many manufacturing some shot plays or creating some more space underneath for him to get the ball and make guys miss. But, you know, I, I, so like I'm saying, you, you do manufacture some touches, but I also think he can separate and get open himself um, and, and do a lot in an offense. One other one I wanted to ask you about was – Drake May, I know the hype going into college basketball, not college basketball, I'm sorry, college football season last year was, you know, Kayla Williams, Kayla Williams, Kayla Williams. But is that is there that big of a gap between Caleb and Drake? So I do like Drake a lot. I would say I, I think Caleb is, is the number one quarterback, and I think there's a bit of a gap. Like, I, I just think he is so cerebral and, and so fluid and just everything he does again kind of seems calm and everyone falls in love with the out of structure stuff but he also has a super quick release and just like elements to his game that i think will translate but may's tools are special i mean he has an absolute rocket for an arm uh, he's a very good athlete he does have a little bit too much like josh allen to him where he takes some dumb hits and and kind of can try to make some crazy plays um, he can drift a little bit in the pocket, and you'll see kind of maybe some throwing off his back foot when he doesn't need to and stuff like that. But um, in terms of, like, yeah, the traits and the, and the projection of, hey, here's the guy's tools. He's got some Herbert to him, some Josh Allen to him, and I'm, I'm not trying to, you know, comp him to a bunch of top five quarterbacks. But as a prospect, um, there are some plays on tape where you're just like, oh, my goodness. Uh, so, yeah, I'm a huge fan. Uh, but I do think Caleb Williams is in that, you know, not a tier of his own, but I think he is the clear number one guy for me. And then, because I like chaos, <laughs> Saquon Barkley, you know, do you anticipate him being franchise tag this year? I mean, it feels like we went through this entire saga last year. I remember reading the clips and watching the podcast he was on, and obviously John Taylor had his situation going on. But he was the only one, Taylor that is, to get rewarded with a long-term deal. So what do you think the future holds for Saquon Barkley, and, and is the future there in New York with the Giants? Yeah, it's, it's funny that, you know, the league is probably not stoked that Taylor drove the hardest bargain um, and got the deal done. And, you know, credit to him. they got to do what you got to do. Uh, it's an impossible market to navigate right now. So I don't think they'll go a second tag. I think they will try to find a way to work out a deal and probably trust that their offer will probably be close to as strong as anybody else's. And more so, you know, look, I, I think Saquon really wants to be there. I, I think he wants to be a New York Giant. He's obviously – a Penn State guy. I think he's from like Jersey or that area. So it, it's a very fascinating dynamic to where I think if all else was equal, if there are a bunch of offers in the same range, he might just choose to stay there. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't think I see a tag there. Uh, I think we see the make a competitive offer and you know, maybe he does leave and goes elsewhere. But um, I think he, he'd like to stay if he could. Well, it's not my beat, so I'm rooting for K. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're in the radio studio, so of course you're. Brad Spielberger from PFF is with us on the Anymore Automotive Group hotline. Brad, heading out west, what in the world did the Denver Broncos do with Russell Wilson? Yeah, so it's going to be a post-June 1st release. And then, so here's the, the cap nerd stuff coming to the equation. But uh, essentially, you split out the dead money between this year and 2025 it's going to be miserable it's going to be the biggest financial penalty we've ever seen um, in the nfl by more than double basically matt ryan set a record with a 40 million dollar dead cap hit when he got traded to the colts um and you're going to see 85 for russell wilson barring you know some sort of reworking of a contract or figuring something out um and then i think what happens is a couple teams will try to convince him to sign um, and say, look, there's offset language in the guarantees for your old contract. He's owed $39 million fully guaranteed for 2024 by Denver. Anything he earns elsewhere would be offset against that. So I actually think he might become attractive if a team can convince him, look, we'll give you five mil just for optics and just, you know, so it's, we're not going to give you a minimum, but we'll give you like five mil way below your market value because – we're not paying you 40. No one's paying you 40. Um, and I think that it, it makes it kind of fascinating what happened there. But anyway, I think Denver has no choice but to move on, um, even as bad as, it, as it's going to look financially. You know what? I should have asked him. He was here for the All-Star weekend. 
in Indianapolis. Russell I, Wilson? Yes, he was here with his son, and I was walk, I walked past him in the hallway of Gamebridge Fieldhouse. How does it feel to be rich? Uh, <laughs> That's the question. Nah, the question yeah. I wanted to ask him was like, where are you playing next year? <laughs> Give you know, source directly it's to like me. Scrooge McDuck swimming in the gold coins. Yeah, yeah that way I can like tweet out, you know, sources say it's Russell Wilson. Yeah, <laughs> Brad, I, I mean, uh, the last thing I'll ask is uh, when it comes to some of the things that uh, have shaped, I guess, the landscape of the league, how do you think teams can build championship contenders going forward when you have to pay your quarterback so much money? Obviously, if it looks every year now like Patrick Mahomes' deal is the best in the league because he got his money early, but is it is it possible to knock off that guy while still paying your guy a ton of money? Because it feels like if you don't get it in that window, I mean, the Cincinnati got to one Super Bowl, but then they weren't able to like get it done. Yeah, you know, look, it, it makes every other decision tougher. So, so I never will say, like, it's not, it's not possible. It is possible. But I think what, what you've seen from Kansas City, as crazy as this sounds, but, you know, you trade Tyreek Hill, who I will still say is maybe the best receiver in the NFL. But those two first-round picks turn into, uh, you know, you, you get Trent McDuffie and George Karloftis in that, in that draft class. McDuffie specifically kind of was the guy that was taken with the Miami pick. And flash forward, he's an all-pro corner and made you know play after play in that Super Bowl. Um, I think he allowed three catches on not, on seven targets or something like that. He, he was sensational. So, um, like it's, it's making those tough decisions sometimes to where it's interesting. Legarius Sneed again, one of the best corners in football. But we had a couple of years ago, Charvarius Ward was kind of this you know really good young up-and-coming guy in Kansas City. They let him walk. They they make that tough decision and just draft well. That's kind of the key. I mean, the real secret. It's not a secret, but you got to draft well, which is obviously easier said than done. Um, you want to draft for volume. I think Chris Ballard, process-wise, knows exactly what you should be trying to accomplish. Um, you know, it's a matter of getting some good results. But, yeah, that's the biggest thing is you, just, you can't pay everyone. you, you, you got to make some tough calls uh, because, yeah, it gets harder to, to kind of build out around that, that, that quarterback contract. But it's not impossible. It can be done. Brad, appreciate the time today. Thanks for stopping by, my man. Yeah, thank you guys. Brad Spielberger, PFF, with us on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Making his 107.5 The Fan debut. This is good. This is a good one. I think you guys are going to like this one. He is the pride of Ball State. He is a play-by-play voice for the Big Ten Network, Fox Sports, college basketball coverage. He is a Cub fan, a Bud man, former Midwest leaguer, Kane County Cougars, my guy. Connor Onion, play-by-play voice for the Big Ten Network and Fox Sports, covering all things college hoops. My man, thanks for taking some time. What's up, Connor? Me, Kane. Good to be on with you, James. Uh, appreciate you keeping me connected to the Colts while I'm here in Chicago. There we go. Uh, always enjoy, always enjoy listening and, uh, and and reading the work that you guys are doing. Love it, man. Connor Onion, our guest on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Hey, man, you work in a league that has a whole lot of parity, even at the top with. Ohio State firing Chris Holtman, surprise move to many, but the Buckeyes coming out playing some great basketball against the Boilers, earning that upset win. Just your thoughts, Connor, first of all, on just how the Big Ten has transpired this year. I think many expected to see Purdue at the top, but what do you think about that heart of it as it sits right now in the last days of February? Yeah, the the title race is back on. That's what what Sunday signified to me. You know, I kind of thought that uh, with the two-game lead in the Big Ten, Purdue – um, not not that they would run away with it. They still have that game in early March against Illinois that now is even bigger. Um, but but that's kind of what that signified to me is that this is not only a race, but it's a two-team race. And then everybody else in that crowded middle that you mentioned is kind of fighting for, for a double bye, which the top four teams get in the Big Ten when the tournament goes to Minneapolis. So um, it's 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 going to be really, really fun March March 5th when, when Purdue and Illinois play, but uh, there, there's a lot to talk about the Big Ten outside of just those top two as well. Speaking of, obviously, the biggest player on Purdue's team, what do you think of his like draft prospects? It seems like every few weeks when I see a mock draft, Zach Eadie's actually getting a lot more love than he did last year at this time and early in the season. And as someone who's probably seen his career over the last few years, how has he – I know the loss to Ohio State, all those things, but how has he gotten better even after winning a National Player of the Year last year? You know, the the concern and what got talked about a lot is is the foot speed and, you know, what can he be defensively in the NBA? And, you know, how much range does he have as far as his jump shot, too? 
you know, he's, he's extended the range on that hook shot. Uh, you know, he's, he's almost out to the free throw line at times now when he's, he's hitting his hook shot inside the lane. Um, but, you know, we, we saw him get in the stance in that Ohio State game and, and check a couple of the little guys. Um, you know, that's not to say that, that he's going to guard a one or a two and some of the small guys in the NBA, but um, I, I think a team will draft him, commit to him, develop him even more than Matt Painter and Purdue have now. Mm. And, and I think he's going to stick as, as a pro for a while. Um, you know, he's, he's not one of these big guys that just plays basketball because he's big. Um, he, he wouldn't be doing what he's doing if he didn't actually – like playing the game. And, um, you know, I, I was, I was just curious cause I've, I've had the conversation we're having right now a couple of times throughout the year, just to, to go back and watch some early Purdue Zach Eady. And, um, I, I don't, I don't think it's really close as far as the conditioning and the skill. Um, he, he's, he's put in the work and I think he will at the NBA to stick around for a while. Connor Onion, our guest on the Anymore Automotive Group hotline talking big 10 basketball. So get to some Butler a little bit later. Connor, staying on Purdue, and of course the conversation around here the last three years now is Purdue losing to a double-digit seed in the NCAA tournament. And I think many around here have kind of accepted that, okay, we know you're going to have a great regular season. We know you're built to win, but you got to show us in the month of March that you're capable of overcoming that hurdle. What's What tells you that this Purdue team is different and can do so and will not get upset again in March? I think it's the shooting. Um, you know, last year they, they they didn't shoot the ball like they are now. Uh, they're, they're fourth in the country and shooting the ball from outside. And, you know, we've we've had the – at BTN and some of the games I've done, we've had the Purdue versus UConn debate. And, um, and BK, I know you're, you're a big East guy going to Butler and all that. And uh, there's, there's a lot of noise from some of my big East friends that, you know, UConn clearly after Sunday – is the best team in the country, right. um, which at, at this point I agree. Uh, they, they look like it, um, but I don't think it's as far off as people are saying it is just because of one loss to Ohio State for Purdue. Um, but, but the three-point shooting is different than last year. Um, Lance Jones is a different piece than they had last year. He's, he's very similar to the FDU guards. And, uh, you know, he's, he's a higher level guard than the guys that they lost to in the first round last year. But he's different. The shooting's different. Um, what, what's interesting in that potential matchup of Purdue versus UConn is not the speed of the guards that got Purdue beat last year, but the size of the guards. If they do see UConn, Tristan Newton and Steph Castle, is, as you guys know, are, are just massive guards, the UConn guards. Um, so I think it's, it was speed last year that got them beat. Now can they handle the size if they do see UConn in the NCAA tournament? Ooh, if they see UConn, they got to get through a few rounds. And, and my thing is just, for the love of all things holy, just just don't have that happen again, please. <laughs> just don't have that happen again. I mean, that's what makes March, I guess, exciting. But to pivot to the team down in Bloomington, Indiana, I'm curious to know, Connor, where does Indiana go from here? What do they do to – you know, revamp a program that is clearly not at a level that is expected of someone with their history. Yeah, it, it was, you know, I, I watch their games with an unbiased eye, of course, and watching them on Sunday, um, it, it was, it was really frustrating. Um, and Cleo Ware said it after the game, we lacked energy. And I think that was the, the obvious statement of, of the post game media availability for Indiana. Uh, they they just looked flat against Northwestern. Uh, nobody pursuing loose balls early in that game. Um, you know, Matthew Nicholson, the big man for Northwestern, had more offensive rebounds himself than Indiana had as a team. Mm. Um, so and, and they, they were coming. Indiana was coming off an eight day break, so it was I don't know, just kind of like a, a sleepy Sunday watching that game at Assembly Hall the other day. Um, as, as far as where they go from here, I, I wish I had a good answer because it, it's very obvious that Mike Woodson can bring in talent and can retain talent. He retained Trace Jackson Davis when he got the job. Um, he brought in Jalen hood Shafino, who's with the Lakers now. Um, e- even this team now, Malik Renew, 
Cleoware, Mackenzie and Baco, like they, they have guys. Uh, it's, it's really confusing to me. It's been a, a college basketball season of, of me trying to figure that out. And I'm sure they're trying to figure it out down there in Bloomington too, why they aren't better. Oh, they are. They, they remind us every day when they call <laughs> in or they tweet us. Like I would not want to be Mike Woodson or even anybody tied to the program right now, because if you wear anything with Indiana on it, there's going to be some pushback for it. So it's one of those things where I'm just fascinated to see how they pivot or, or, or regain some steam, Brandon, because that's that's the program here. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Connor Onion, our guest on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. You can follow Connor on Twitter at Connor Onion. Keep up with all things Big Ten Network and the Big East as well. My thing on IU, Connor, is in what you just described, it's more so, even though they quote it all the time as just shooting issues, that stat on offensive rebounds is nuts. Is that a type of stat or storyline which tells you that at least this year it, it's almost a too far gone feeling that the effort just isn't there? Yeah, um, I, I think that's fair. That's the way it feels to me. Uh, I mean, they're they're out of the NCAA tournament picture, and um, you know, I, I I don't know what the motivation is other than pride at this point is to to get it going and, and I would hope there would be some pride because of what you guys mentioned uh, when, when you play at Indiana there should be pride and that's what was confusing to me about some of the things we've seen throughout the season that looked like Sunday when they got back into that game on Sunday you know the last four or five minutes where they made it a one or a two point game whatever it was late um, that that was what they needed 40 minutes of and we just didn't see it um, and, and Northwestern you know give, give Chris Collins their coach, a lot of credit. They lost Ty Berry, one of their best shooters. They had foul trouble in the first half, and they're playing Blake Smith and Justin Mullins, who a lot of Big Ten fans have probably never heard of, um, and, and built a lead in that game. So uh, I, I don't know if it's too far gone as far as the pride and the effort, but you know the, the postseason and, and where I expected this Indiana team to go, I, I think it is too far gone at this point. So, Connor, two days ago, I was sitting in an NBA All-Star media session. LeBron James was talking about the scoring explosions in the NBA. And he mentioned, oh, you know, when guys in the zone, you can't really stop them. Kind of like Caitlin Clark the other night when she broke the record. You know, she had 49 and 13. And, you know, we have the NBA All-Time Leading Scorer shouting out the NCAA Women's All-Time Leading Scorer. That's a pretty big deal. So I'm just curious to know what what has it been like to – sort of be on this journey with her and to see her go from, you know, I remember talking to Caitlin Clark, seriously, at the Big Ten Media Days at Lucas Oil Stadium when she was a freshman, and the big deal back then was Paige Beckers, and now Caitlin can't walk anywhere <laughs> without having people around her, and she's a superstar. So what has it been like seeing her rise? You, you guys know how it is following the NBA. Like, there's, there, there's really a pre-Steph era and there's a post-Steph era. Yeah. And I think that's what we're going to see in college basketball on the women's side. You know, there, there, there was the UConn storyline in women's basketball of, you know, the, all those undefeated teams and are they finally going to get beat? And, you know, there, there have been so many good players on the women's side throughout the years that, that I've liked watching. But I really think this is go- going to kind of be a line of demarcation of this change the women's game forever. Um, and some of that is actually influenced by Steph. Caitlin Clark has talked about that. Um, and of course she hit a 40 footer to, to break the record to kind of put a stamp on that. But it, it's, it, it's, it's really cool to see the, the conversation ramp up. Obviously it's been good for the conference that I cover in the big 10. Um, but, but there are legitimate rivalries that have come out of this from things we've heard from, Don Staley from things we've heard from um, Angel Reese at LSU. Of course, they matched up in the championship game last year. Uh, they, there's there's some legitimate tension, even if everybody was celebrating Caitlin the other night. Um, and I think it's going to make the women's tournament in the NCAA's as as fun as as any year that I can remember uh, following it all the way through. So, what are your thoughts on the Michigan team writing letters? Of appreciation for Caitlin before they played her and then losing to her and I guess giving it to them. 
I, I guess it was it was kind of inevitable that that she was going to get to eight points the other night, right? She she had only been held under ten points, I think, once in her career. Um, so I, I think they knew it it was coming. She knew it was coming. Uh, I I didn't really look at that as anything other than classy, kind of a nice touch. Um, now, now, if if I were playing, I don't, I don't know if I would have done that. that. That's what I'm getting at. All right, after. all right. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I would have waited until until after it actually happened. <laughs> right, um, I'll, I'll give it to you before, but 49 and 13. I don't want to see you. I don't want to give that to you. Like, come on, man. <laughs> Maybe send it. Maybe go the snail mail route. Send it in the mail. <laughs> yeah, you know, in, into the season. You know, there you go. The carrier yeah. pigeon, almost. Uh, Connor Onion is our guest on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Connor, my last thing on the Big Ten before I ask you about some Butler Bulldog basketball is in the Big Ten standings. And back to men's here. Is there a team that's just hanging around that not a lot of people are talking about? Whether that's I realize Northwestern is third, but they're playing injured. They get a huge win at IU. Iowa obviously upsets Wisconsin in that huge overtime game. Minnesota has been a lot better as of late. Nebraska can shoot the lights out. Maybe one of them or another on your mind of a team that's just hanging there that is just ready to strike. It was Rutgers. And if they had won at Minnesota Sunday night, it would still be Rutgers. But it is no longer Rutgers, unfortunately. Um, they they got... Uh, one of their what's turned into really their best guard jeremiah williams back he was involved in the uh gambling scandal at iowa state Mm. and was not cleared to play until five games ago and as soon as he got back they won four in a row Uh, mike DeCourcy, who is uh at big ten network he's our uh go-to for everything bracketology after rutgers won those four games in a row he actually moved rutgers up to uh, the last or the the next four teams out, which means that they were right in the bubble. They're a couple of wins away from challenging your Butler Bulldogs, BK, on the bubble uh, and potentially pushing them. But uh, losing the other night, I, I think, uh, definitely dampens that chance that they're going to get to that conversation. But Nebraska and Northwestern, they're the they're the two teams on the inside of the bubble that I think are going to make it. I think the Big Ten is going to get six teams in. Um, but it's going to take a real push from Minnesota and Iowa uh, to get back into that conversation. They're they're a little bit far off the bubble right now for me to feel like they're within striking distance to get in. Connor Onions with us. Connor, big one for the dogs tonight at Villanova, 6.30 tip. You're, so you've gotten to do some pretty big Butler games this season, including the game at home against UConn, which I know is a loss, but you've gotten to see Butler sort of at some highs and some lows and getting to talk with Thad Mata, just your impression on what he's been able to do in such a short amount of time, almost free agency mode, putting this year's team together. Real quick, BK, were you at the home game against Villanova? Uh, I was at the UConn game that you were calling. Okay. Gotcha. I didn't, yeah. I didn't know if you were there. Cause I was not, that was, that was one of the games of the year. Yeah. Um, so I'm looking, watched looking it, but wasn't there. Um, looking forward to that rematch tonight, but, but yeah, um, Thad Mott has done done a terrific job there. And, um, you guys know, being there in Indy, just extremely positive. Um, I I had a chance to cover one of his former assistants for a game I was doing for ESPN a couple of weeks ago, John Gross at Akron. And I, since I had just spent a decent amount of time around Butler doing the Creighton game and doing the UConn game, we talked that a little bit. And, and John Gross at Akron reminds me a lot of how Thad Mata runs his shoot-around, runs his practice. And I asked John Gross, when you guys were coaching together, you and Thad, was there kind of a, a good cop, bad cop because of how positive Thad is? And he really described it as, no, it was just good cop, good cop, mm-hmm. um, which I was impressed that that could work. Because usually you know, one, one assistant kind of has to step up and be the mean guy if the head coach is positive, but um, that, that's what's really struck me. And, and going back to that, that first game against Villanova that I know you said you guys were watching, um, you know, Fox went inside the huddle uh, and, and Thad Mata gave the great speech of winning thoughts, guys, winning thoughts. That's all we can have right now. We are going to win this game. And, you know, it, it sounds good now in hindsight, they won that game that helps their bubble chances, but, that's really what it's been like being around him a little bit this season is uh, you feel that 
in a conversation, even as a person he's not coaching, which is uh, really, really neat to, to witness. Kind of going back to IU for a quick second, and this is a reference to the NBA as well, but Khalil Ware looking like he could potentially be a first-round pick in the draft. What do you think of his game now and perhaps what entices people about what it can do or what he can do at the next level? Yeah, you know, I, I think that's, that is that is what is intriguing about being around Mike Woodson is, you know, he he clearly can identify the talent as we were talking about before. Um, and he can clearly develop that talent to an NBA level even sooner than, than I expected. You know, I thought Jalen Hitchifino last year was going to be, um, you know, maybe a two-year guy. I didn't necessarily expect him to be one and done at Indiana. Um, so I was, I was curious with Cleo Ware if, if that was going to be the case as well. And, um, you know, I, I think some credit should be given to Mike Woodson for that. Um, do they need to play harder? Yes. Do they need to shoot free throws better? Yes. But that's not all on him. Um, but I, I do think, to your question, I do think he'll do well at the next level. And, um, you know, it's, it's just a matter of uh, getting these guys that are really, really good and are going to be NBA players to actually win games at the college level. And we haven't seen that at the level that it should be in Bloomington yet. Yeah, I just need him to play bad against Milo Lamar in Illinois. <laughs> so, because uh, <laughs> I mean, as much as we talk about what's going on with Purdue, I think that Brad Underwood, and maybe you can speak to this a little bit. He's kind of got a reputation for you got to get it done come March. Is that correct, mm-hmm. Connor? Or what are your assessment of this Illinois team and them sort of being all in on this year's team because of some of the you know grad transfers they've added and things like that? Yeah, um, I, I'm with you. I'm with you. And they, you know, they won the regular season title a couple of years ago, shared it with, with Wisconsin. And um, Brad Underwood at that time said that, you know, he feels like winning the regular season title in the Big Ten is, is harder than anything in the sport. Um, but the, the fan base wants you to go to a Final Four. The fan base wants you to win a national championship, uh, as, as nice as a Big Ten title is. But I, I really do think now that Terrence Shannon has been back for a longer stretch for Illinois, um, they are starting to look more like the team we saw against Missouri right around Christmas time, right before Terrence Shannon was suspended for six games. Because uh, at that point, that was the happiest that I have ever seen Brad Underwood. Um, I'm not saying that he, he didn't like his team last year, but I will say he is a lot happier coaching this group that seems a lot closer together um, than when, when I had a chance to visit with him a few times last year. But um, after maybe, maybe before the game on Saturday, I'll get a better pulse on that. Um, I've, I've got their game against Iowa on Saturday, but everything that I've heard from, from Brad Underwood and um, seen from him up close is he really, really likes this group. And I think they can go deep in the tournament. Is that your next game or you got one before then? Uh, I've got a game Thursday, uh, Sun Belt game of the week uh, Thursday for ESPN, and then uh, I'm in Champaign for Illinois Iowa on Saturday. Let's go. So, all right. So you got to tell me the story. Is did they your rental car? Uh, <laughs> per, they gave you a purple Mustang, Camaro. That's right. That's right. I, I need the story uh, on the purple Mustang. So the Lincoln Airport. God love love Lincoln. I, I love going to Lincoln, Nebraska, um, but but it's not, say, flying into Newark or one of the New York airports to go to Rutgers. Um, it's very small, uh, and they only had one rental car left. So <laughs> they said, here you go. Here are the keys, Mr. Onion. And I, I, I saw the label, and I could see, uh, you know, like the brand of car that it was, but I didn't know it was going to be this, like plum purple color that was going to be driving it around Lincoln, Nebraska all weekend. You're the mayor of Lincoln, brother. The coolest man yeah. here. <laughs> it like, it's, it's just me driving down Lincoln streets with a bunch of Honda Civics <laughs> and me in this purple car. <laughs> you got to rev that engine a little bit. Yeah. You got you to show them who's boss. I, I, I may have once or twice. Uh, I, I love that. Um, uh, that's awesome. Where's the um, where do you think the coolest stop has been for you this year? Has there been a place where you got a sign and you got to the gym and just had to stand for a few minutes to appreciate it? Yeah, no, that's that's a good question. Um, hmm. 
I, I should. I probably should have thought about that a little bit harder before he asked it. Uh, I'm just I keeping you on your toes, brother. Doing doing the uh, the volleyball match at Nebraska. Yes, I forgot you did that. the outdoor match. Yeah, that that is one that's going to be hard to top, no matter where the rest of this crazy thing takes me. Um, you know, that's that's the first time that I've really gotten kind of into the fishbowl of a sold out crowd and had to collect myself so I didn't get overly emotional just because, you know, Big Ten Network and, you know, this has, you know, less than 1% to do with me, but Big Ten Network has played such a role in growing volleyball um, and, and prioritizing putting it on TV and the success of the athletes and the coaches and the conference in that sport have helped put it on a stage that we saw that day. Um, and just the fact that I got to be a tiny, tiny piece of that uh, was emotional to me. And we're, we're two minutes from going on air, and I kind of had to take a deep breath and uh, say, rein it in, buddy. <laughs> we we, we, we got we to make words here. Um, but as soon as we got rolling, it was, you know, it was kind of like an hour and a half volleyball party. And um, just to see the sea of red and, um, the post-game concert and the fireworks show that they put on, it was really, really cool, and it's going to be hard to top. Yeah, the video out of that was crazy. I'm so glad you got to experience that. Connor Onion, our guest on the Anymore Automotive Group Hotline. Hey, man, before we let you go, I texted you this to be prepared. So I obviously know you love the Cubs. You're a Cubs guy till you die. Me too. We've worked together before on baseball. Cubs, Cody Bellinger, does it happen? Oh, uh, can we get Scott Boris on as a guest? Uh, well, yeah, except he needs an entire crowd in front of him to do a press conference. So. <laughs> I know. Um, I, I'm, I'm leaning toward yes. Um, this, is, this is not a major scoop here. I don't think it's a major scoop here, but uh, the, the breakfast place down the street from where I live, I know that's a favorite of Cody Bellinger's. Hi. Um, I was – I was sitting at a place called. Uh, maybe I shouldn't give it away because then Cubs fans are going to go knocking on the door. But uh, you can a text place me. that has, uh, I will. A place <laughs> that has really good uh, cinnamon rolls and down the street from where I live. I was having breakfast there late last summer, and uh, go to pay the bill. I turned to my left, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, I, that guy looks familiar." Oh, it's Cody Bellinger. <laughs> um, so I know, I know he he loves the food in the neighborhood. Um, I know he, he liked the success that he had hitting over 300 and hitting a bunch of bombs last year. So the optimist in me says he's coming back, but that's, that's an unofficial scoop as far as I'm concerned. All right. So how about 200 million and lifetime cinnamon rolls from your place? I think <laughs> uh, sign the dotted line, right? I, I think so. Yeah. I, I'm sure Boris can get that in there. Yeah. No, you hit him up and I will, uh, I will gladly send a reminder. Connor Onion, the terrific play-by-play voice for Big Ten Network, ESPN, Fox Sports, and taking over the broadcasting world, taking some time on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. My man, let's do this again soon. Appreciate you, and hopefully see you soon. Me too, James. Thanks for having me. Enjoy it, guys. Connor Onion with us on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. <laughs> that felt good. <laughs> Our guy, Craig Rakestraw, taking some time. He is a busy man. Rake will be on the call this weekend for the IHSAA Girls Basketball State Finals over at Gamebridge Fieldhouse. One of the games he will do is alma mater, the Lanesville Eagles, taking on Marquette Catholic. That's the Class A game. Greg will also have the call of 2A Brownstown Central against Fort Wayne Bishop Lures. Lures going for a girls' state title. They won the football state championship over at Lucas Oil Stadium last fall. Ray, great to be with you. How was your prep today over at Gamebridge? Uh, it was uh, it was uh, fun. Uh, it's still a little bit outside of my mind that I'm like you know covering relatives of mine playing for a state championship. <laughs> um, you know because in Lanesville there's a lot of us that are related to each other, um, and having been in school just before class sports started it was never you know our dream was to win a sectional you know we never thought about well we might win a state championship my high school won four sectionals in their history before uh you know the class sports era began so now they are playing in a fifth state championship and i have been on the call of four of those 
which is just, again, crazy for me. But at the same time, as excited as I am about that, I've got another game to do, and I've got to make sure I give equal treatment and love to the opposing team in Marquette Catholic. So it is a very fun week for me. It is also a very nerve-wracking call, and I just hope both teams play hard and have a good time. Yeah, I was going to make sure that you uh, show some love to Marquette Catholic up there in the 219, my former part of the state, which I used to cover. It's pretty cool, actually. I didn't know you went to Lanesville, so it is awesome that you'll uh, be on the call for that game. Obviously, I'm rooting for Marquette Catholic. I can't help it. Um, going for their third state championship in girls' basketball program history. But I ask you this, Greg, because I know that these moments mean a lot to you. Do you ever have a moment, maybe after state championships pass, that you get to realize, okay, maybe I'm a part of history in a different way for someone else. Like this call that I made might be sure. what they remember for the rest of their lives. I, I am cognizant of the fact that I am part of the soundtrack of somebody's memories. Um, and and, and I, I don't, I'm not sure if I take myself seriously, but I take my job very seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I want to make sure that I do right by both the school that wins the state championship, but also by the school that doesn't. Um, and so I, I think I'm, I'm just generally positive by nature when I'm calling a game and very rarely critical. That's especially the case in a state championship because it is an amazing accomplishment for any team to reach a state championship game, let alone win one. So that point was driven home to me. There is this great documentary uh, about Bar Reeves' 1A championship, their first one in boys, which came against Marquette Catholic. Those two schools split. Um, their meetings, and I think Marquette won in 14 and Barbie won in 15, if I have my memory correct. And there was a documentary that was made about that, and I'm sitting there watching the premiere of it, at least in Indianapolis, and about 45 seconds in, I hear my voice, and I go, huh, okay. And it <laughs> kind, of drive that, that, it kind of drove that point home. Hey, make sure you, uh, you are uh, you know, prepped and ready to go because what you say during these broadcasts will live on in somebody's mind for the better part of 40 or 50 years. Mm. Greg Rakestraw is our guest on the Anymore Automotive Group Hotline. Rake, 26 minutes from now, shifting gears here, teams are eligible to start franchise tag season. James and I were talking about it in the first segment. In your mind, is Michael Pittman a franchise tag player in 2024-25? Yes, he is. He is He is absolutely worth that to the Indianapolis Colts. Um you know, I, I think there might be a debate as to whether he's a one on other teams. He's a one here. And most importantly, he has done everything that has been asked of him in four years. You know, we, we don't often refer to wide receivers as tough. He's tough. And he has shown that toughness with his durability when he's been injured, with his ability to, 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 to play, uh, the way he has gotten the tough yards, the way that he really hasn't had much help at the wide receiver position uh, over the course of, of his four years here. So, um, I, his catch numbers are fantastic. I wish his touchdown numbers were better. But again, given all of the circumstances, given Chris Ballard's penchant to, um, you know, re-sign his own guys, I think in this case it very much pays off, and it's the move that I would make. Um, if there is not a long-term deal reached soon, I would assume the franchise tag is going to be used for the Colts for the first time in the Chris Ballard era. Wow, that would be something. And speaking of Chris Ballard, Greg, how much do you think this offseason is one that is pivotal for maybe a change in philosophy because they're better than maybe we expected them to be last year, but this year the expectations are a playoff berth, a potential AFC South title. So do you think that there could be a change in Chris Ballard's mindset and approach to building this team to win now? What's well, the great thing is, is when I make these references, James, you are often in the room, so you can nod your head in agreement <laughs> with me. Um, obviously, you're about to talk to Chris if there's some sort of Colts news, but it's going to come around to the you know combine coming up in the very near future, which is the first chance we get an official conversation with Chris since kind of that post-mortem at the end of the season. And I very vividly remember him acknowledging, saying, hey, listen, and it wasn't necessarily because of the position they are in, having nine wins and being ahead of, of, of other people's schedule. You never know if that was ahead of Chris's schedule or Shane's schedule or Mr. Ursay's schedule uh, for that football team. But he really said, listen, he goes, we can afford to be more aggressive because we feel we've got the guy at quarterback. We've got him on a rookie deal for four more years. So it's part of the reason why I think Michael Pittman, if you don't get a long-term deal done, all right, fine, we'll franchise tag you and we'll figure this out because the Colts have cap space. They don't often spend as much as they possibly can. 
but they're in this really unique sweet spot of you've got a quarterback on a rookie deal. You don't have a high-end first-round pick where your draft capital pool needs to be something extensive. You know, you can kind of spend that on your own guys and then maybe go out and get whether it's a, 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 a cornerback to help your depth, whether it's going out and getting maybe a number two receiver uh, and, and kind of having downs as your three and Pierce as your four. Um, we, a lot of folks kind of think that maybe the Colts address the tight end position with the first pick in the draft, so you're not going that direction. Uh, in terms of, um, of the tight end spot, you know, you, you got a lot of sacks out of the defensive end position kind of in the aggregate. Maybe you're happy with what you got there. In other words, what I'm trying to tell you is this. The Colts have never been in a better position to offer multiple guys <laughs> money for, you know, from their own team than they are right now. It's part of why I feel with pretty strong conviction that they'll do what it takes to bring Michael Pittman Jr. back to the Colts, if not on a long-term deal, then a franchise tag until they can get a long-term deal done. Greg Rakestraw is our guest. I'm Brendan King with James Boyd and for JMV. Rake, talking some college hoops, I know you were on with John. This might have been oh, two months ago by now, but you were talking about Purdue and the last few years struggling in the tournament with double-digit seeds. I thought you made a great comment of, you know, they have done what they have done consistently in the regular season, and it's sort of just a matter of show me come March after the loss to Ohio State, are you still in that camp of everything's cool, but really I just need to see it in the month of March getting past that hurdle that they've had the last three years? Listen, Purdue is one of the best basketball teams this year in, in college hoops. Do I think they're one of the great teams of all time? Maybe not. I think they can win a national championship this year. I absolutely think they can. Um, I, I understand even a group that is as experienced and talented as motivated as that Purdue team is, is going to hit a lull at some point in time. It was bound to happen. Um, I tend to think that I tend to think that Sunday was more of the Ohio State dead cat bounce than it was anything about about Purdue. Um, and we all know when you make a coaching change, hey, for a week or two, it's going to look great. Uh, James, remember the high of the Jeff Saturday win against the Las Vegas Raiders last year? I Didn't do. exactly go well for the team after that point in time. So. Um, I'm not sweating Purdue just yet, and I realize that they didn't play great against Minnesota the game before. I acknowledge that, but this team has been there and done that and accomplished everything they can until the middle of March, and so I'm not panicking too much after what I saw from Purdue on Sunday afternoon. To piggyback off that, do you think it's better to maybe have those moments now or maybe just the (laughs) overall perspective of it? Is what they're chasing bigger than that game? Because I keep thinking about how every loss they've had in regular season over the last few years has just been a court storming. They just can't have that happen come, you know, the second weekend, right? Or the first weekend. (laughs) You're going to make a mistake. You've got until March 17th to make that mistake. Uh, After March 17th, you've got to play mistake-free in terms of, of just having a bad game. Of, of and, and frankly, what happened on Sunday was in large part what we were worried about last year at the end of the season when you go, hey, those freshmen are going to hit a wall. Well, Fletcher Lawyer and Braden Smith at one point late in the game were combined three of 17 from the floor. So it shows you just how important both those guys have been to their success over the course of the last couple of years. And for as dominant as Zach Eady has been, I still think as much of this hinges on what Braden Smith can do and to a lesser degree what Fletcher Lawyer can do by the time you get to after St. Patrick's Day. So I honestly thought, JB, the most important part of this season for Purdue, winning the Big Ten is nice. Winning the Big Ten tournament (laughs) is nice. But what you really have to do is ensure that you're good enough to play your first two rounds in Indianapolis where you have that home court advantage. Purdue has largely done that. Then you kind of get that Midwestern path. I think that helps as well. But everything else, man, is just gravy. And it's let's see what happens as of March 22nd, which would be a first-round game at Gamebridge Fieldhouse. That's where it really gets to be important mm. for Matt Painter and his team. Greg Rakestraw is our guest on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Rake heading south to Bloomington. Uh, Mike Woodson's press conferences, it seems that it's a matter of shooting uh, with every loss that comes by. That's what he mentioned. It's a matter of making shots. Is it shooting that has hampered the Hoosiers most, or is there a bigger problem that you see in the, in your eyes? Um, you, I, I would say it's a loft pro, a pro, a problem, and that is lack of talent, L-O-F-T. Um, it could be shooting. It could be general basketball skills. Uh, it could be poor roster construction. They're just not good. We can describe this in many other different ways that you can. Um, and and if, if shooting is a problem, then recruit better. 
re- recruit a different type of player or play the play guys that are your better shooters more often than you do now. Uh, it, it's it's mind blowing to me that we're having this same conversation over the course of the last two or three seasons because we we frankly had this back to the Archie Miller era. And again, the fact that the margin for error on this there there's there's less forgiveness in terms of you know revamping a roster or rebuilding a roster because you can do it on a fly. If you don't like the guys you got, they'll play for somebody else. You can literally, and this is not a negative connotation, go out and buy better talent. You can do that now. And they haven't done it yet. So it, it, it's, it's shooting. It's everything. It's find a way to get a better, you know, compilation of players or better chemistry. Just be better. There's literally zero excuse for this in Bloomington. None. I was going to piggyback off that and ask you, did you expected some drop off, obviously, with the depart of sure. you know, NBA players, but can you think back to a time where IU, maybe in the modern era, looked like this? Because to me, it's not a stretch to ask them to be a perennial tournament team. It's IU no. we're talking about. Absolutely not. No, and, and again, I, you're absolutely right. You lose players like Trace Jackson Davis and Jalen Hood-Shafino, again, in every other era of college basketball, you go, hey, that's understandable. You're going you're gonna to take a step back or two this year. But, again, this, this is now the Wild West. This is now, again, name me a program that, that has a bigger budget than Indiana University. Seriously. I mean, you can name maybe four or five because it's, it's, it's NIL, baby. It's, it's free agency. You can go out and find better players, or you can recruit better players that can help you immediately as freshmen. But you can patch holes quicker than you ever have in college basketball. And a program with all of those resources can't seem to figure that out. That's a problem, James. Greg Rakestraw, our guest. Butler takes on Villanova tonight at 6.30. Dogs try and sweep the Wildcats. Rake, I'm going to close this out and ask you about Indiana State, which I know is near and dear to JMV's heart, and I've had a chance to do a number of their games this year. But back-to-back losses after getting ranked for the first time since 1979. Freshmen got hot in that Illinois State game, then Southern Illinois, seemingly everything went wrong from a shooting perspective. Any concern in Terre Haute for you right now? Yes, I mean, there's concern, but but there also is, um, I wouldn't say a sense of relief, but I think there's an acknowledgement, you know, because we were talking about, hey, this team could be an at-large qualifier. I, I think that is now out of the window. Um, and so these last four games or last two weeks of the regular season, you want to be the number one seed. You want to be your regular season league champ. But frankly, you now know what really you have known the entire time. It comes down to winning three games on three consecutive days in St. Louis as part of Arch Madness to stamp your ticket back to the NCAA tournament. So the next four games are almost kind of house money games. Simply you got to find a way for shots to go down, which they had the entirety of the season and really haven't over the course of the last two or three games because even their winning against Belmont, they kind of found a way to get it done even though the shots weren't falling. So right now I'm just trying to get, get kind of – get that jump shot back, get back to a good mental state because the next couple of weeks you want to get as many wins as possible. But simply put, you got to win Friday, Saturday, Sunday in St. Louis, that second weekend in March to make sure you go to the NCAA tournament because that at large berth probably waved bye-bye with those back-to-back losses. Last one for me, Greg. Today it was announced that the college football playoff unanimously decided to approve a new 12-team playoff with the five you know, conference champs getting automatic bids plus seven next highest ranking teams. Your thoughts on that, and do you think it's a correction or a tweak from last year's outrage with Florida State? Yeah, well, it was going to happen anyway. I mean, let's face it. You know, that was you know this has been talked about for the last two years. It was going to take place. So um, I don't think it's an overcorrection. I remember I've I've spent most of my professional life in D two D three NAI athletics where. We've had anything from a 16 to a 32 team playoff, um, and it hasn't ruined college football. It's part of it. I think what it is, it's it's, it's sooner rather than later. And you saw it by the amount of opt outs and transfers and struggling to fill rosters. I think it's the death to the bowl season, more or less. Some of these games will be called as bowl games that are playoff games. 
but those are the ones that are going to be successful. The rest of them, I think, will you know go the way of the dodo bird, uh, you know, at some point in time. But no, I, it, I don't have a problem with it. Uh, I'm all for it. Uh, let's get it on. But but frankly, that's why I don't think there was as much outrage about Florida State not making it because we all knew this change was coming. Rake, last last thing, real quick. It, can, is the All Star Game in the NBA fixable? No. No all-star games fixable. <laughs> They're all like this. I mean, you know, baseball is the closest thing to it. Clearly, we have ditched it in the National Football League. Um, you know, the skills, the, the skill competitions in basketball are akin to the home run derby in baseball, where that's where it's really interesting and and energetic. Um, but no, this is with the with the millions upon millions that are at stake for every player. I understand. Guys not wanting to get full bore or potentially hurt a competitor. I get that completely. So, no, it's not fixable. It was still a wonderful weekend in Indianapolis. Anybody that, you know, is aghast by how the game played out on Sunday night, you've not been paying attention for the last several years. That would be the entire national media, seemingly. Greg Rakestraw talking about anything and everything Indiana sports. Rake, we appreciate the time. Have a great call this week, my man. Thank you, fellas. Greg Rakestraw with us on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline.